0: Good morning, delighted to be able to be with you today to share some thoughts on a very familiar passage of scripture, it's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's maybe one we first heard when we were a small child going through Sunday school or primary school and maybe from time to time we've read it to grandchildren or children but I want to throw a few observations on it, um, particularly as we think about the what Beaver is going to be doing in the coming years. So, let's give a wee bit of the background first. The church had begun to grow. If you remember, Jesus had died, he'd risen, he'd sent his spirit, and he put a challenge out to the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. You may remember he also said to them, you begin in Jerusalem, you then move to Judea and Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. So, in terms of a little bit of history, the church had been established at Pentecost, And we read in Acts 1 and 2 that shortly after that there were countless numbers of people became Christians and some of them stayed in Jerusalem, some of them went further afield and they established small house churches. Meetings were taking place there and they met together, they had communion together, they shared together and they also evangelised together. And two people were emerging in those early chapters of Acts, Peter and John. By the time we get to Acts 3 and 4, we come upon quite a difficult story to understand. The Christian faith was obviously in danger of being misunderstood. And there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who perhaps for the right reasons wanted to follow faith, but suddenly got entangled with money and confused money and power with faith. And you probably remember that they fell dead. And this was a big challenge, not only to the people of the church to remain pure, but also to outsiders of the power of God. The church, in growing, began to realise that it needed to develop a ministry on practical issues. And so, you can see in Act 6, they established a system of deacons, people who waited on tables but also visited um, widows and orphans. And we know that Stephen and Philip were the first two mentioned there. Stephen... Was the first Christian martyr And in Acts 7 just before we enter Acts 8 Stephen was stoned And you may remember that lovely picture of Jesus standing Looking down to welcome him up That was about 33 AD After that the church faced persecution under Saul of Tarsus And Christians were scattered all over the empire at that stage uh, Leaving Jerusalem behind And so as we open the chapter of Acts 8 We realised that those Christians who were scattered didn't just go into hiding, but they actually evangelised where they were. They found this to be their new Jerusalem. Philip, we know, had been having a very successful ministry around Samaria. You may remember the story of a magician, Simon, who saw what um, Philip was doing and he wanted some of it, misunderstood the Christian gospel. Philip then explained what faith was really all about and Simon burnt all his magic equipment and stuff and became a follower of Jesus. Who is Philip? Sometimes people confuse him with Philip the Apostle, but it's actually not the case. This was Philip the Deacon. We know very little about him. We know he was a Greek-speaking Jew. We're told he was full of the spirit and wisdom. He was one of the seven deacons. He went to help with the food distribution program, we're told. But interestingly enough, towards the end of the book of Acts, he's the first Christian to be given the title evangelist. Now this is a strange thing because Philip was having an extremely fruitful ministry. People were coming forward, they were becoming members of the way and if you think of it in terms of success, Philip couldn't have been writing a better CV but all of a sudden in the middle of all of this, he's interrupted by an angel. Now that's a bit strange but in the middle of all of this, he doesn't question the angel and the angel says, I want you to go Philip, despite the ministry you're having, I want you to go off and prepare for a long journey. And that journey means you're going to take a road into the desert. So Philip was being challenged to move from this time of plenty into a time of wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, but what Philip does was amazing. He doesn't challenge, he doesn't question, he simply goes home, he packs his cases and he follows God's command without any question. And he prepared for a journey and on that journey, just at the very beginning of it, as he was leaving Jerusalem for Gaza... He has what I guess, looking at from the outside, would be seen as a chance encounter. Now look, things couldn't be any stranger. He's walking on a desert road. It's at high noon when people shouldn't be out. And who does he run into? A black, high-ranking official of an African queen, who has just been up to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and who is coming back in a chariot reading the book of Isaiah. Now, you could not write this into a novel. So far from being a chance encounter, God had a reason for sending Philip into the wilderness. Now we know very little about this Ethiopian. We know that he wasn't a Gentile because later on we're told Cornelius was the first Gentile to be baptised into the faith. It's highly unlikely he was a Jew because he was a eunuch and eunuchs were banned from being Jews. He probably wasn't even a proselyte. That's someone who came from outside Judaism and entered Judaism because, again, there was a ban in this. So the best guess is he was a man of faith, somewhere between a Gentile and a Jew, but he was seeking faith. And that's probably the reason he'd been up to Jerusalem and probably the reason he was reading Isaiah 53. Now, we've continued to think of this as a man from Ethiopia. But it's interesting that the Greek word for Ethiopia comes from two words One means I burn and the other means face So in other words this man had a black face And I know it's politically incorrect But the Greek word for that was a man who had burnt his face We use the word to mean Ethiopia But it was a general term used of those who came from Africa And probably wasn't modern day Ethiopia but more likely to be Sudan Nonetheless it was 2000 kilometres away So this man had come 2,000 kilometres to worship in Jerusalem. Now the second supernatural prompt. We're told that the Spirit tells Philip to come up alongside the chariot and the Greek word is stick to it like glue. There's a lovely picture that someone painted once about Philip jumping onto the running board and sticking literally like glue to the side of the chariot. Now this wasn't a specific command. First of all, Philip had been told to go into the wilderness. He didn't know what was going to happen. He then has this encounter, and then the Spirit of God says, I want you to draw alongside the chariot. He obeys again, without question. But as he's running along, or walking along, or hanging on for grim death, he hears the words of Isaiah 53. Now it's interesting. He doesn't force himself on the eunuch. He doesn't presuppose anything. And in fact, he waits until he's invited into the chariot, and he comes in and sits alongside this high-ranking official. Now it's interesting that at this point, like Nicodemus who asked Jesus the question, why is it you do the things you do? The Ethiopian eunuch, even though he was a man of very high standing, wasn't proud. He had a real burning desire and so he asked Philip, a man he'd never met, to interpret Isaiah 53. And we're told in the Greek that Philip used Isaiah 53 to introduce him to Jesus. The response was immediate. As soon as he saw water, he said, Stop the chariot, I want to be baptised. Quite high, he knew about Padbism, I don't know. But Philip, never to be let down by a situation, jumps out of the chariot, goes down into the water and baptises him. Now, now, another supernatural event happens. When they come up out of the water, we're told that God's spirit raptures or seizes or captures Philip and he disappears out of sight. Now the interesting thing is the official takes this just as normal, gets into the chariot, goes back to sedan, rejoicing, not even thinking about where this guy has gone. It reminded me a little bit of the story of the road to a mess where Jesus was once walking alongside the two disciples and then suddenly he's taken from their sight. Then suddenly Philip reappears at a place called Azotus, which was a Greek city Ashod which was very close to the Mediterranean about 50 miles from Jerusalem now we're not told how he gets there it would have be been a couple of days walk but it seems as though he was somehow supernaturally transported there it was an extremely strategic city it had been a city of the Philistines where the ark had been taken when it was held captive it was at the crossroads of faith and so once again Philip goes to the centre of mission and we're told that he goes from there to Caesarea evangelising all the way We know very little about Philip after this We know he lived in Caesarea for the next 20 years or so We know he had four daughters and we know that they were prophets What do we know about the Ethiopian official? Almost nothing In the Ethiopian Coptic church We're told that he had a name Bacchus And we're told in the old traditions That he started the first ever Ethiopian or Coptic church We don't know if that's true or not I would love to think it was Now This is a very familiar story and I probably so far haven't said anything new to you. But let me just make a series of observations. I think what this says to me is that God still uses people to achieve his purposes. God could do things himself miraculously, but he chooses to use us, you and me. Now, much as we would like it to be so, the call we get to go, the challenge we get to do something isn't always clear and isn't always specific and sometimes... Like with Philip it comes in bits and starts <laughs> And as the case in Philip He comes from a fruitful ministry He ends up on a desert road Totally counterintuitive You might have thought that after all I've done for you And this is what you give me I think it also tells me that today God still uses angelos, messengers. Now, the Greek word that we translate into angels, we tend to think of these lovely white creatures with wings, but actually there are lots of references in the Old and New Testament where the word angel is used to refer to a human agent. So today you and I may well be meet angels. And those may be people who bring us messages from God. So I think we always should be on the lookout for people who come to us with words of knowledge or discernment or maybe asking us the question, have you ever thought about? But maybe we can also be called to be angels for other people. You know, we love to be trained. We love to do things in rigor. We love to have the analysis and the forensics. But sometimes spontaneity is what God's looking for. He just tells Philip, I want you to go on a long journey. Then he says, go over and stick like glue to the chariot. Then he says, open the gospel when we're reading Isaiah 53. And like Philip, sometimes we don't see the results of our ministry. It could be we've spent 20 or 30 years faithfully working for God and we haven't seen anything that we perceive to be results for that. Philip didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know that as a result of that encounter, That Ethiopian official went back to where he lived and possibly set up a church and the gospel was spread to the ends of the earth. Philip didn't even need to know that. He just wanted to remain obedient. This passage also tells me that God's a disruptor. He disrupted the life of the Ethiopian. He certainly disrupted Philip's life and previous to that he disrupted the life of the church when they were scattered from Jerusalem. And I don't think God changes how he does things So I would say if you're following him If you're a member of the way If you're a Christian Expect to be disrupted So expect the unexpected from God The final thing for me was This was a black man He was a eunuch And within the Jewish tradition He couldn't have become a Jew And as a black person He was probably also banned from going to the synagogue And yet here Philip Open the doors to him Now this should be a challenge to us today To show that as a church we're inclusive That regardless of a person's colour Or sexual or social status or their background The door is open The welcome is warm And God's love extends to those people So finally It isn't always the big mega events It isn't always the super evangelism But these words of Tom sign ring in my ears Jesus led us into an astonishing secret. God has chosen to change the world through the lowly, the unassuming and the imperceptible. That's always been God's strategy, changing the world through the conspiracy of the insignificant. It is still God's policy to work through the embarrassingly insignificant to change the world and create his future. Are you up to being disrupted? Good morning.